All right, so we're beginning a new series this week. If you've joined us over the summertime, we did um, a series in the Psalms, and we are beginning just a short four-week series, um, kind of a vision series. So what I told you about earlier, if you were kind of bored during the Gospel Community Mission, you're not going to have a good time because we're going to expand that and make that into whole messages. But this morning we're talking about the Gospel, and the reading comes from Romans 3, beginning in verse 19 and going through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, through the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, the word of God. Will you guys go ahead and pray with me for a moment? Uh, so Father, um, we just gather this morning and uh, we pray that as we really unpack this passage that you would reveal to us who we are, and you would reveal to us who you are, and that you would reveal to us what you've done in the person and work of Jesus, and that you might apply that to our hearts and our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I just pray you speak. Amen. Um, my name is Nate, one of the other pastors here, and so it's a real privilege to be with you this morning if you're new. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been around that person before when um, they meet that special someone, you know, and they won't, they won't shut up about that person, you know, and you're around them and you just endure it as a friend, you know, like, can we just maybe spend time talking about some, somebody else, you know? Um, there are other times where um, perhaps you are around a friend and they are akin to a certain sports team and you are um, amazed at their knowledge of this team, both in the off-season as well as the season, the, 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 the trivia they know, all the things, all the facts, and, and they won't be quiet about it. It just comes out at different moments. Uh, perhaps you have children and they get consumed with uh, a toy or a certain set of things, like I'll just say it, Legos for my son. I mean, just you talk to him for two or three minutes, it's where he's going to go. And you know, in all these situations, that what they're getting at is this is what matters to them. That's why they talk about it. That's why they talk about it. And so this, these four weeks, like this is in essence, like this is what matters to us at Redeemer City. Like, this is essential. This is the core of who we are. And so if you've been with us for a while, uh, you know, as Casey's already said, gospel community mission, this is what we're about. This is our DNA. This is what we want to become, not that we have arrived. 
And so this morning, we're just going to unpack the gospel. And this is going to be the chorus to every verse we sing here at Redeemer City. This is what we orbit around. This is what we go back to week in and week out, not just here, but in city groups, not just in like formal conversations, but actually in the midst of just normal, everyday conversations. This is what saturates us. This is what we want to know. And as soon as I say that, um, as we talk about what is the gospel, I know some of you would say, well, hey, you know, I've grown up. I, I kind of, I get it. I've been around the block a few times, um, and you might want to be like, hey, I'm just going to check out on this message because I'm familiar with the gospel. Let me introduce you to a man, Martin Luther, and what he said back in the 16th century about this. He said, uh, it'll be up here on the screen, Martin Luther said this about the gospel, most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article, the gospel well, teach it unto others, and I love this, beat it into their heads continually. So let me just say this. This is like, as one of your pastors, we're just going to take you out back today and we're going to beat this into your head continually. All right? Now, if you're new here and you're not a Christian, we are really glad you're here. In fact, we would say um, it takes a little bit of courage to step into the midst of a community and kind of go into the inside and try to figure out what this whole thing is about. Like, why would people get up on a Sunday morning and gather for any purpose other than the fact that the Packers will be on, right? Like we should do some pregame here or something. So what is this all about? And this morning, you, perhaps most importantly, get to see what the very center is of the, of, of the Christian faith. So <clears throat> let me start this way. So when I was growing up, the first reality TV show, I mean, this had to be the first, okay? was the people's court, okay? I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but back in my day, it was Judge Wapner, okay? And if you remember this series, it was the one where it would start out, ba-bump-bump, and then what would follow is this monologue. What you are about to witness is real. The participants are not actors. They're actual people who have agreed to dismiss their court cases and have their disputes settled here in our forum the people's court, you know, and there's like this tension building, what's going to happen? And um, that's really where we're going to be this morning. The, the, the context, the, the kind of fragrance, the, the context for this passage is a courtroom. In fact, um, you might say the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter is bringing a case and it's the whole world that's the defendant. And God is the judge. And the first verse that Casey read just a moment ago is actually Paul's closing arguments to his case against the whole world as it relates to God. And this is what he says. Verse 19, and we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That word accountable, that all of humanity before God is liable, legally responsible, culpable, and guilty. In fact, Paul goes so far to say that when, when you come before God in this sense, 
every mouth would be stopped. In other words, there's no, like, anybody saying, hey, well, what about this? Or what about this time I did this? Or there's, there's no appeal process. Like it's closed book. I know some of you this morning right now are like, I should have gone to the theater this morning and, and caught, a, like, caught a movie and just made the mistake like, oh, I thought we were over here this morning, right? Because you begin talking about this opening line, this opening defense, and you're like, wait, this is not good news at all. Not good news. It makes us, I would say, uncomfortable, perhaps squirm a little bit in our chairs. And I would say for some of you, it's even, if you're, if you're kind of new to stepping into this, you're just probably confused. Like this, this, this whole logic that all of humanity is guilty before God, liable, under judgment, and their mouth stopped, like that, that really kind of offends our modern sensibilities. Listen, I'm convinced that most people, as they think about who they are and who God is, kind of relate to God how I related to God when I was in pre-calc when I was in high school. So when I was in high school, I took pre-calc as a senior, and I took it pass-fail, because there's no way I was going to get a, a, a good grade at all, okay? And so I entered the, ca- entered the class, and I knew if I can just pull out a D, maybe even a D plus. I mean, teachers don't like to give those out as much these days, but if I could just get that, I would pass, and I could go on to college. That would be great. Now, the great thing about this class was is that the teacher grade on a curve, which was even better, because you know what that meant. Like, there were times where I got 59 out of 100 on the, in that class, Okay. And that's failing if the scale is 100. But you know, like, the curve, what does the curve do? It takes the highest score. And all of a sudden, the highest score becomes what you're graded on. So, you know, I was like, I pulled a 59, but the other person got an 84. Guess what? I got a C, everybody. 70%. I didn't fail. And most of us operate thinking that, hey, this is how it works with God, right? We, we kind of go, okay, so... You know, there's kind of Mother Teresa, and then there's Hitler, and then God's grain on the curve. And I know I'm not like Mother Teresa, but I'm obviously somewhere. You know, like, I'm not Hitler, right? I'm somewhere maybe even like a little bumped up, maybe like past C range, you know? Um, maybe I scored a little bit better than 59. Maybe, maybe it's 63 even. But Paul says that's, that's not how it works. Now, we understand a bit more of how Paul has arrived. It's a little bit unfair, right, for a moment for me to say, here's Paul's closing arguments. By the way, we're all guilty. And not just understand, well, how did he get to this point? And so let me back the truck up for a moment and just kind of unpack really what Paul said prior to this. And what Paul's been doing these first three chapters, he's been dealing really with two groups of people. Okay? And I would say these two groups of people are the exact same people that are in these chairs this morning. You would relate to one of these two groups. Okay, He's been dealing with religious, moralistic people. In this text, it's the Jews. And, and they were the ones who had a religious background. They had a shared history. They had this revelation of who God is. They had, for, for example, Ten Commandments and other things. They knew what was right and wrong. And Paul's dealing with that group of people, but he's also dealing with this other group of people, which is the Gentiles, and they were kind of the non-religious, the irreligious, the relativistic. They were the ones who weren't familiar with God or his law, 
and nevertheless operate with some level of conscience of right and wrong, albeit perhaps just what you would think is right and wrong, like you kind of make it up yourself. Paul is dealing with both those groups of people. And by the way, when he gets all done, his closing argument is, by the way, it doesn't matter if you're religious or if you're non-religious, you're all guilty. We're all guilty. But let me just back up for a moment and show you how Paul deals with each of those groups of people and how he helps them understand their view of how they relate to God. So in Romans 2.13, Paul's dealing with with, with this religious, moralistic grid, and here's what he says. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. It's not the hearers, it's the doers. And Paul is getting at something here. You see, oftentimes what happens with religious and moralistic people who have a law is they think, well, this is, this is like my ladder to God. This is my way to perform for God. That's why I have these rules. And therefore, I'm going to do my best. And what Paul is saying, your best isn't good enough. Your best is not good enough. Even on your best day, you are not a complete doer of the law. One of the, one of the most... For every guy here, this would be like, the, like, just go here today. If you don't believe me, just go here. Jesus in Matthew 5 is talking to a crowd, and he's, he's unpacking, for example, the Ten Commandments, and he says, here's the deal. Guys, you know that whole, like, commit adultery thing, all right? You know that whole adultery thing? Don't do that, right? And plenty of guys would be like, hey, I'm fine. Like, I'm faithful, whatever. But then he says this. He says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Well, snap. I mean, like every guy in this room, unless you're a liar, which by the way breaks another commandment, <laughs> knows that I'm culpable. I'm guilty. I'm not a doer of the law. Now, Romans 3.20, at the very end of this argument, Paul says this, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes Knowledge of sin. See, the the law is not a ladder to get to God. It's actually a scalpel that reveals who we actually are. It's not a ladder to get to God. It's a scalpel. It reveals our need. It reveals the depth of our sin. Um, This isn't in the notes. I think this is helpful, but I I always used to get these uh, white t-shirts underneath things and I would wear them for about six months, and I would have two that were particularly turning kind of grayish, sometimes weird colors, you know, and I would throw those out, okay? And then I'd have to get a whole new set, and the problem was when I got the whole new set, I brought them home, and I realized, oh my word, the other four I have are horribly off-white and are going the same direction. I didn't understand the standard, you know? And, then, and that's what the law of God is like. It reveals it's just this white thing, and we... We think as we compare ourselves with others that we're doing okay, but when you come against God's law, you understand this isn't the case. It's very dark. It's very black. Now, at this point, some of you non-religious people here are saying, I know some religious people. (laughs) I know some moralistic people. And let me tell you what, I can testify, they're not doers of the law, right? You'd be like, like, I got that. Like, I could have told you that. You don't have to read your Bibles. I could have told you that. But you might say, like, well, but I'm not familiar with these laws. Like, how can I be accountable to it? Or, for example, you might say, it's kind of like I pulled into town, and I got caught going 45 and a 25, but I didn't even know there was a sign there. 
You know, like how am I culpable? How am I accountable? And Paul says this in Romans 2.14. This is his argument. He says, for when Gentiles, again, this is non-religious, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the work of the law is wired on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, Here's the deal. Even if you don't have God's law, you have a conscience. And even in your own heart of hearts, that courtroom, even you don't pass. And Paul's saying, that conscience, the God who made you gave you that conscience, and that conscience testifies to a higher law. So you may not know this over here, but you know this. And you know you don't measure up even in your own courtroom. There's a, um, Sufjan Stevens wrote a song a number of years ago about a serial killer named John Wayne Gacy Jr. It's kind of a cryptic song, obviously, with the title and who it is and what it's about. But Sufjan Stevens, he... He understands what, what Paul is getting at in this whole context because we often think of the world like, hey, here's the good guys and the bad guys. You know? Here's the, here's the people in the white hats, those are the good guys, and here's the black hats, those are the bad guys. And what, what, what Paul is saying here is that we're all wearing black hats. There's no good guys here. And Sufjan Stevens, at the end of this song, he says this, and in my best behavior, I am really just like I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. In other words, Paul's argument is simply this, that no matter who you are this morning, whether you relate to God from a non-religious, relativistic grid, Paul's saying, even in your own courtroom, even in your own heart of hearts, you're guilty before God. And if you relate to God from a religious, moralistic grid that, hey, I can try and do better, I can try and do this, guess what? Even that, it's not good enough. On the final day, if you rely on relating to God like that, your mouth will be silent. You'll have nothing to say. Now, what I want you to understand here for a moment is because this, this is... Some awful news, but I want you to understand, Paul is doing this because he loves these people, okay? Like, Paul is not like some street corner preacher that loves to call out others and say, you're all sinners. Like, like sometimes we see in Madison, right? Or in other places. It's not what Paul's doing. He is rather doing this because if you don't understand the problem, if you don't understand the dilemma, if you don't understand that there's nothing you can do, then you won't understand the solution. You'll just keep trying yourself. And that's why Paul continues in this text. And he says, but now, but now, those those are perhaps the best words in the entire scripture right there. He's just told us that the final 
indictment is clear, we are guilty. And then he says, but now. The righteousness, this is verse 21, of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Let me talk about this term righteousness. Righteousness is talking about this standard. It's talking about this standing. It's this measurement and it's this essence of which this righteousness of God saying this perfection has been revealed, it's been manifested. And when it says that the, uh, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, Paul's talking, that's just the vernacular of the entire Old Testament, saying, hey, here's what this whole, the first 39 books are about. It's about this righteousness which is to be revealed. And look where it points. It points to a person. It points to Jesus. That's where This is where the spotlight goes. This is where the but now turns our heads to look to. Looks to Jesus. And in verse 25, it it begins to unpack what Jesus has done. It says in verse 25 that, that God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. I'm sure propitiation is one of those words you use pretty often in your, over your lunches and stuff. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, I'm getting some great nods there. Um, I, had, uh, I had my daughter read it this morning and she, she inserted the word pepperoni, so I don't know. She, <laughs> she said, Dad, I knew, I knew it wasn't that, but I, and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, propitiation, it, it's this term that actually takes us back to, uh, the Old Testament, where God in, had put in, in, in place a, kind of an elaborate system of how that nation was to relate to God. And what it was, you can actually go to, for example, Leviticus 16. There's this one ceremony where the high priest, one man, one time a year, could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. Like, you couldn't go there like, it wasn't just like, you can go there whenever you want. It was one time a year. That was it. And it was, the, it was this symbolic presence of this is where God actually dwelt. This is where heaven and earth met. And he would go in there one time a year, and he would take with him blood that had been sacrificed from an animal. And it was to do this, he would sprinkle it over the Ark of the Covenant, this, this mercy seat, and that would be the thing that would cleanse the people of their sins. That's how they could relate to this God. That's what would make God favorable towards them. That's what would make God look on them and not see their sin. And and that ceremony was a preview of the ultimate reality. It was the foreshadowing of what Jesus did the, the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 9.26 that he, speaking of Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That Jesus is the one who sprinkles his blood 
for our sins. And that word propitiation, it, it actually means that this actually turns away God's wrath. It turns away, it satisfies God's wrath. And I know, like, this is the most popular thing in Madison, right? God's wrath. We, like, that, that doesn't hit our modern sensibilities very well, does it? But let me just give you two thoughts if, if you're wrestling and struggling through this. One is, like, are there not some things that just upset you in this world? Are there not some things that make you angry in this world? Are there not some things that you look at and you go, that is wrong. That needs to be dealt with. And you are angry towards those things. Would it not be okay? Just thought experiment. If there is a God, that he could look down and be angry at some things that are done here, the one who, the scriptures say, made everything for himself. Sometimes we think of God's wrath as he's just very temperamental, but that's not. It's not what the scriptures reveal. It's, it's actually his right response to who he is and his nature. It's a right response. And it, think about this. It says that it's in Christ's blood, but, but hear me out. This isn't God asking for our blood. This is actually God initiating, God sending, God giving his son in his son's blood for us. Like, can you really have a problem with that? See, this is, this is the good news that although our bad record deserves, right, condemnation, we see there's a but now. There is a, another way. It's Jesus. And the text is clear that this is a gift. Um, you know, <laughs> um, it says in our verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Um, you know, we love giving gifts, right? Um, I love, think about Christmas. And, um, you know, you ask for things. Now, let me ask you this. If you don't get something at Christmas, do you ever say something like, why didn't I get that? Like, I deserve that. You know what I mean? Like, you don't ever ask that you you somehow know it's not appropriate. You might be disappointed, right? Like, I hinted, I circled it, I didn't get it, you know? But you understand, like, no, I shouldn't, that's not, that's not quite right. That's actually a wage. A gift is free. And it says this, that in verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift. And, and that word, we're justified, it means to be Acquitted. It means to be pardoned. It's a decision. It's saying you are declared righteous by the judge. It's a gift. It's not something you can earn. And over and over and over again, it, it talks about how to obtain this gift. It says it's to be, in verse 25, to be received by faith. Verse 22, the righteous of God through faith. And it's faith in Jesus. So, real clear, this is what it is. What, what faith is, is this, is it's turning from your record and your performance, whatever you think could try to earn a way to God, and saying, that ain't going to cut it. 
but rather it's turning to Jesus and his record and his performance and what he's done in the cross and trusting that. It's not trusting, it's, it's, not, it's no longer trying, it's trusting. Um, let me say, if you're, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I just want you to understand really clearly that God does not want you to go out this week and try to make up for whatever you've done. God does not want you this week to try and become a better person. God is calling you to repentance and faith in Jesus. That is how a relationship with God begins. That is actually how it continues, and that's how it goes until the very end. But that's how it begins. It's not about you trying, it's about you trusting. Now, I want to close getting really practical because I know some of you, like, you have trusted. You are, you are a Christian. You are following Jesus. This is, this is you, you understand this. And sometimes we talk about great truths like this one of, of justification and being righteous before God, but we're really pretty bad when it comes down to, like, the everyday, what does this actually mean for me? And I want to talk about how that changes how we look at our past, how we deal with our like the, the present, and then what it means for the future. Um, so the past. Um, so if you're new here, you, there's a couple things you need to know. This last week um, has been an incredibly hard week for the Redeemer City family. And it's because really like one of the core families that has come with us to be a part of starting this thing, we, well, we're one man down this morning. Um, this man, Kyle Morgan, uh, passed away from cancer this week, and at the same point, um, he is with Jesus now. And we are grateful and yet mourning in all that sense. But this past week, I was looking through some of my text messages to this man, and um, I was sitting on the couch next to him just a couple weeks ago, and, and he and I were talking about our pasts, and there's a lot of times when you think about who you were and what you've done, and it's hard to get past that. And I remember reading him a couple of different scriptures, and then I read him um, a quote from Martin Luther about what to do with, do with things when we're dealing with our past and what we've done. And he said, oh, you got to send that to me. And I texted him this quote, and this is what it was. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there shall I be also. Let me tell you what, real practically, like when you are dealing with your past things, whatever it is, and you feel accused, guess what? That's not the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. In fact, when you feel accused, say, what of it? What of it? I know the one. I know the one. Where he is, I will be. 
The verdict is in. Your past, you, if, if you have faith in Jesus, you are declared righteous. The verdict is in. Your past is done with. But it also changes the present. Um, listen, I'm convinced, because I know in my own heart, that most of us operate on a performance-based mentality in our relationship with God. Um, I, I remember uh, when I was in college, and I was, I was really growing in a lot of different ways in my relationship with God, and I was beginning to grow in spiritual disciplines, good things like reading my Bible, sharing Jesus with others, praying, and all these different things. And I, I remember, like, I was killing it. Like, if you'd have watched, like, and that sounds really arrogant, but you'll see why this is stupid in a moment. But I was doing really well. And I remember I got to the end of the semester, and I was just dry, and I was empty, and there was no joy. And I was like, what is going on? Look at what I'm doing. I've got all these things. I've got everything lined up. I've got these great rhythms in my life. And what had become the means to a relationship with God became the end. All of a sudden, I found myself saying, okay, if I would, I mean, I spent about 40 minutes with God this morning. Well, that, he's really smiling down at me today, right? Or, Man, I had an opportunity to share Jesus today. Holy cow, God has really pleased me today. What I was trying to do was to justify myself. But don't you understand? What is this message? The message, the verdict is in. Guess what? Nate, you are as righteous as you will ever be. And it's not because of you, it's because of Jesus. And you know what that means too? It means that when, when you have a really bad week, like when you say, I said I'd never do that again. Guess what? You don't have to like be in the penalty box or be like, okay, I'll go to church for four more weeks now, although I'd like to have you here. Like, that's not what that means. Guess what it means? It means right after you choose to do whatever you do, you can say, Jesus, thank you for taking care of that sin. Thank you that I am righteous in your sight. There is no like time waiver where it's like, oh, three days later, okay, now I'm okay with you, God. No, no, no. The verdict is in, you are righteous. Not because of you, but because of what he's done. See, this justification, it changes the present moment. That tomorrow morning when you wake up, guess what? You are, by faith in Jesus, as righteous as you'll ever be. And then, the last thing is the future. Most of Paul's contemporaries, if they were Jewish in background, the, the the judgment day was kind of a mystery. It was kind of like, well, what's going to happen on that day? I don't know where I'm going to stand with God. But in this text, justified, it's past tense. You know what that means for those who have faith? When you put your trust and faith in Jesus, guess what? You know the verdict on the last day. It has come rushing forward into the presence, into the present tense, into now because of the person and work of Jesus. And guess what? That is why... That's why we sing about Jesus, right? Like, that's why we make much of Jesus, right? Because it's about what he's done. And that changes the community. That's, that is what we orbit around here. That is what we love around here. That's what we sing about around here. That's what we try to wrap our minds around around here. That's why we just try to live every day in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. Perhaps the best way to end this is just, to, just with this um, this verse out of Before the Throne of God, which we sometimes sing, it just says this, Because the sinless Savior die, died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied 
to look on him and pardon me. Let's pray. So Jesus, we give you thanks today for your work on the cross for our sins. Pray today that those who are not in a relationship with you, that they would see how beautiful you are, they would see their need for you and that you would draw them. Pray, God, that those um, around you here who have said, yes, yes, Jesus, I get it, I put my trust in you, that you would help us to work this out in our everyday context, that we would be a people, no matter whether we have a good week or a bad week, and whatever it relates to you, that we would have our joy centered in Jesus because of what he's done. So, I just ask you now to, to be with us as a community. In the midst of all we're walking through these days, give us hope, comfort us, be a place of refuge for us, for one another. It's in your name we pray to your fame. Amen.